Hello you, my name is Lauren Layfield and this is your next podcast. The show that podcast fans everywhere have been waiting for. If you've ever had a total brain fade when someone asks what podcast they should listen to next or maybe you've spent the whole train journey just scrolling through shows to find the next one to binge, you can relax right now. Don't worry, because I have got you, okay? Every week, I'll bring you the first episode of a brand new podcast, which I have personally tried and tested, ready for you to get stuck into. Plus, if you follow your next podcast, more great suggestions will appear in your favorite podcast app, which is great. You can automatically create a fail-safe list of five-star shows to pick from. So no more scrolling. Not for you. Not today. This week, the show I am recommending is Terribly Famous, hosted by Emily Lloyd Saney and Anna Leong Brophy. And it's all about one of our favourite subjects, celebrity. What it takes to become one and how hard it is to stay one. I mean, let's be honest, we're all very guilty, aren't we, of looking at the sidebar of shame, seeing what our favourite celebrities are getting up to. And the first series is all about Adele and it gives you this pretty... Well, pretty terrible picture of what life is like inside that goldfish bowl of fame. She survived her first award ceremony and she's got an award to prove it. But it doesn't feel quite right. Her album's only just come out. She has a nagging sense that she hasn't earned it. She feels she needs to prove herself. And her record label says, You're right. Let's do America. I love the fact this podcast is hosted by two best friends because you can really feel that chemistry. It's very natural. They bounce off of each other brilliantly. Every time something good happens, it's like she can't enjoy it, can't trust it. Maybe more vulnerable than she seems. Yes. Let's rewind. No. (laughs) Wow, that was special. I thought it was going to be better. Keep that in. And it's a really clever idea for a show. It really shines a light on our obsession with fame and, and what that can cost. The first episode starts with Adele and, something I never knew about her, her stage fright. Hello you, I'm Anna Leong Brophy. And I'm Emily Lloyd Saney. And this is Terribly Famous from Wondery, our brand new show that takes you inside the lives of our biggest celebrities. They say be careful what you wish for, cause you might just shine too bright. When everybody wants your secrets And everybody wants your life Stars have it pretty good. Loads of money, the red carpet treatment, adoring fans. But they also have to live in a goldfish bowl with the rest of us peering in. In this podcast, we go backstage, past the bodyguards and right inside that goldfish bowl. To find out what it's like to walk in their shoes. Fabulous Prada shoes. But still just shoes. This is a show about celebrity. What it takes to get it, what it's like to have it. And why, when everyone's watching, you're only one cancelled Vegas residency away from it all going wrong, terribly wrong. It's not easy being terribly famous. Just ask Adele. Terribly famous. Do you think we should tell our lovely listeners who we are? Okay, yes. 
Emily Lloyd Saney. That's me. Is a comedian and actor. Thank you. And Anna Leong Brophy. That's me. Is an actor and a comedian. And did I mention she my best friend? Crack on? Yes. Now listen. You know that dream you're always having? Oh, with Chris Hemsworth and the marshmallows. No, 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 no. The one where you're on stage, totally frozen. Can't move, can't speak. Yes, that is the slightly less appealing, reoccurring dream. Well, imagine it was happening for real. An actual living nightmare. Yes, and imagine every time you perform in front of an audience, you're often sweating, shaking, sometimes vomiting. I would give this whole thing up, Anna. I couldn't do it. Well, that's what Adele goes through every time she performs live. She suffers from serious performance anxiety and it doesn't get any better with success. Good to know. It's January 2022, just before the biggest performance of her career. She's about to start a four-month residency at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. Ooh, Vegas, baby. Adele's dreamt of being a singer since she was a kid. She's been working towards this for years, but this Vegas residency with its echoes of Elvis and Celine Dion. And Britney. And Britney. Well, it's bigger than anything she ever dared imagine. And in 24 hours, she's going to emerge onto that stage as a fully-fledged singing goddess. So, so far from where she started. The tickets sold out in hours. Her fans are frothing with excitement. Frothing. Frothing (laughs) with it. That's very visual. Yes, they're frothing. Very nice. And they're headed to Nevada from around the world. They're expecting the best show of their lives. Then, just before it opens, Adele sits down to film a video. She checks her face in the mirror. She's pale. Her hair's hanging loose around her face. There are tears on her cheeks. Little bit of a mess, really. And she starts talking into her phone. I'm sorry, she says, but my show ain't ready. The fans are already frothing. Yeah. As you described, they're arriving in Vegas. It's a bit late in the day to cancel. Adele says the show's not good enough. She seems exhausted and properly upset. And yes, the fans are upset too. Mm. Now, they are frothing with anger. One of them tweets, It's my birthday and I am on an airplane right now using the last of my vacation time for a whole year to see you. Adele says the problem is COVID among the crew. Others say she didn't like the set. Then there are some who say, underneath it all, the real problem? It's her old, old enemy, stage fright. We don't know the exact reason. What we do know is the stakes couldn't be higher. Adele took a big risk putting on this show, and an even bigger one canning it. She has to balance pulling out at the very last minute, upsetting everyone, against staging a show she doesn't think is ready. That is a decision that makes me quite happy that I didn't choose to be a global superstar. You didn't choose that. Yeah, you took a very different route. Yeah. And I'm so glad I did hearing that. (laughs) It was close. (laughs) After posting the video, Adele slips out of Vegas. She boards a private plane wearing a pair of bedroom slippers and a shawl. Nothing good is ever happening in slippers and a shawl. She travels straight to her boyfriend's place in Beverly Hills. She knows she'll be protected from the press there, far from curious and angry fans. But nothing can protect her from the knowledge that a lot of people are hating her right now. That hurts. She's never felt so low. What if she's never forgiven? What if she's crashed her career just as it was about to go supersonic? She withdraws into the house and into herself. Is she just pulling a big diva strop? 
like I'm a powerful star, I can do what I want. Or have her insecurities got the better of her. When she says the set isn't good enough, maybe she means she's not good enough. So, we're talking Adele, a singer and songwriter so talented, she doesn't even need a surname. In fact, no one even knows what it is. Really? No, not really. No. She's a cheeky London girl with an infectious laugh and a potty mouth. Like you? Famous for turning heartbreak into hits. Like me. Writing personal songs that speak to fans around the world with their raw, honest, heart-wrenching lyrics. She's sold millions of records, won countless awards. She's a global superstar. Loud, confident and funny. But inside, Adele needs to be loved. Fame can go some way towards meeting that need, but as she's going to find out, it can also take you to a very lonely place. This is episode one, London Girl. So picture a 17-year-old wannabe diva who spends all her spare time writing lyrics and getting their mate to upload their songs on MySpace. Oh, MySpace, the Nokia of social media. <laughs> I curated my perfect playlists on there. Yeah. And then one day out of the blue, this 17-year-old gets a message from some guy called Nick Huggett. He says he works for a record label. Stop. What? Can you stop saying this 17-year-old? We know who it is. OK, fine, fine, fine. The 17-year-old Adele hasn't heard of Nick Huggett or the company he says he works for, XL Recordings. So she does what any of us would do. She ignores the message. I mean, I think I might not ignore it. Nick doesn't give up and finally Adele agrees to meet him. But she asks her guitarist mate Ben to go with her in case this Nick turns out to be a perv. Though Adele's not sure how much help he'd be. It's early 2006. It's London. It's cold. Adele wraps her coat tightly around her. Her heart is thumping. She and Ben are outside Notting Hill Gate tube station. She gives herself a quick talking to. What's the matter with me? It's just a meeting with a guy to talk about music. At that moment, a shiny car with blacked out windows draws up to the curb. Inside is the man she's met on the internet. The man who says he's from a record label. So many red flags here. Go home. Run away! Run away! I would run away. You would, but you're not Adele. She's loved singing since she was a kid. She's obsessed with music. This is her chance to make a contact in the industry. They both get in the car. It pulls away and purrs past the multicoloured terraces and antique shops of Notting Hill. Down a small side street, it comes to a stop. Adele peers out of the window. She was expecting a glossy, high-rise office block, all floor-to-ceiling windows and impenetrable security. But this, this is a little muse house. There's not much to it, though there is a black and white mural painted on the wall. Oh, well, why didn't you say there was a mural? That's synonymous with the music industry. I feel completely safe. Well, I just wanted to reassure you, Emily. Oh, thank you. There's a mural. Should have said at the start, it's panicking then. Once Adele enters the front door, she sees this isn't an ordinary house. Nick leads them down the corridor. There are music posters and gold discs hanging on the walls. Adele can't take them in quickly enough. The White Stripes, Dizzy Rascal, MIA, The Prodigy. Oh my God, she thinks. This Nick Huggett is actually legit. She starts feeling excited. Is he about to ask her to be a music scout? She doesn't care, as long as she's close to music and as long as it pays more than her Saturday job. Then, 
Nick asks her if she's signed. At first, Adele wonders if she's heard him right. What does he mean? Nick carries on. He's heard her three songs, the ones her mate uploaded to MySpace. She's thinking frantically, trying to understand. Two things. I love that she hasn't clocked what's going on, and I love her friend that did that for her. Nick tells her it's the emotion in her voice that captured his attention. Hearing her sing made the hairs on the back of his neck stand up, he says. That's why he contacted her. Adele sits down. Her heart is racing. She stares up at the faces in the glossy posters on the walls. That could be me one day, she thinks. It's overwhelming. Nick asks her who her manager is. She blurts out, Pat at Gap. Gap the clothes shop. (laughs) Amazing. Couldn't wait to tell you that, mate. Oh, bless her. Adele works part-time at the one on Kensington High Street, which I did know very well in my youth. She realises too late what he must have meant. Adele flashes a look at this Nick guy. Has she just put her foot in it? Showing she's not sophisticated or experienced enough to be taken seriously. Even her mate Ben is shaking his head. Oh, Ben, back me up. But Nick just laughs and says, get yourself a manager, a proper one. No shade, Pat. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you the name of someone I know. Ben will talk about signing you. And it really doesn't take long. She recruits a manager, who's called Jonathan, and later that year, Adele signs to XL Recordings. She's done it. She's got what she's wanted for a very long time, and it all happens so fast. Adele wastes no time before celebrating. She heads off to a local pub to have a drink with her mum, Penny, and some friends. I've got a mum called Penny, and I've got some friends. Hang on. So, I'm just seeing some parallels, that's all I'm saying. Absolutely. She makes an entrance wearing a fancy new Burberry coat. The similarities have ended. Have ended, yeah. (laughs) She bought her coat with her sensible signing fee, and she's smoking a Marlboro Light. Her days of cheap rollies are over. Now, you love a cheap rollie. I do love a cheap rollie, much better than a Marlboro Light. If anything, your days of cheap rollies have just begun. (laughs) Not true, Mum. (laughs) She's chatting away, filling the bar with her big, cackling laugh. She's full of it. This is the most exciting moment of her life, right? Right. But all of a sudden, she starts to feel dislocated. Like she's sort of outside herself. As she watches everyone she loves, laughing, joking and sinking pints, it hits her. Now she's been signed, she'll have to write an album. And that means coming up with loads more songs, ones the record label will expect to be brilliant. And that's a problem. Because there's no way she's good enough. Suddenly the lights feel too bright. The pub is too loud. She's sweating, gasping for air. She's thinking with what little bit of her brain is still working. What's happening to me? Her mind is racing. She can't throw away this opportunity. She can't let everyone down. Somehow she's going to have to deliver. Adele is having a full-blown panic attack. I diagnose classic imposter syndrome. Wish I could say I didn't relate. I know. She's got a big personality, but inside, she's not that confident. Adele is freaking out. Self-doubt doesn't evaporate just because somebody, a man you've met on the internet, says you're a star. Yeah, especially when life keeps reminding you that you can't always trust what people say. It's early 2007, about six months after Adele's panic attack. To be honest, it's looking like she was right to be nervous, because despite all the faith her new label's shown in her, Adele's 
struggling. She just can't come up with any songs she thinks are good enough for her first album, even though she's in the studio every day. And that's the problem. She's in the studio every day. She's worn out. All she seems to do is go round and round the same chords. She decides she needs a break. Leaving her guitar at the studio, she heads out into central London to surprise her boyfriend, who she knows is out too. Probably at the mean fiddler on Charing Cross Road, she thinks. The dark streets are buzzing. This is what she loves about the city. Her city. Adele walks into the club and scans the crowded room. As her eyes adjust to the sweaty gloom, she sees her boyfriend. Just as she's about to make her way over, she clocks that he's kissing someone else. The scumbum! This is Adele, sir. Exactly. Adele can't believe what she's seeing. I can't believe what I'm seeing. She could run out crying. Instead, she feels a wave of anger rising up inside her. So do I. She charges over, too furious to speak, and just punches him. Oh, no punching. Use your words. Use your words. That's what I say to my three-year-old, and it counts for a 17-year-old too. Two big burly bouncers are heading towards her. Time for a quick exit. She doesn't even bother looking back as she races out and sets off down the street. She doesn't know where she's going. She's weaving through the crowds of tourists, snapping photos, dodging audiences, spilling out of West End theatres. She doesn't stop. Actually, she can't stop. Onto Regent Street, then Oxford Street, running, running. And the whole time, one thought keeps spinning round and round in her head. I'm not even doing anything, just chasing the pavement. A phrase that no one would ever hear again, sadly. She stops, breathless. And with no one else to say it to, she presses record on her phone. Chasing pavements, just chasing pavements. The next day, Adele heads back into the studio. She can't pick up where she left off yesterday because everything has changed. A boy's broken Adele's heart for the first time. She gets out her phone and listens to the line she recorded the night before. Chasing pavements, just chasing pavements. As she feels the pain of her boyfriend's betrayal, she starts writing. As she's writing, it's like she goes to another place. Channeling the hurt, the grief, she pours her feelings into the song. It's the same quality Nick Huggett picked up on, the emotion behind her songwriting and in her voice. It's real, it's powerful. Now she has a new song, good enough for her debut album but she's still heartbroken. See, yeah, it's brilliant, but it's a high price to pay for a great song. But the song has given her what she needs. She's beginning to think she can do it. She will do it. She's going to finish the album. There's another song she's half written. It's tucked away in the folder marked first album. Very inventive. She thinks there's something in it, but it's not quite right yet. It's called Cold Shoulder. She plays it for the label. They call it Charming. Not exactly what she's aiming for, I'm guessing. Yeah, Adele wants to turn it into something people can dance to, something upbeat. She needs to work with someone who can help her give it more rhythm, more drive. She asks for help and she's told, you can work with anyone you like. What? And Adele's like, seriously, anyone. In her mind, that anyone is a guy called Mark Ronson. He's worked with Lily Allen and just produced most of Amy Winehouse's Back to Black, which looks set to be the best-selling album of the year. It is a great album. One of... The best? One of the best. Yeah. Though I have to say I prefer Frank. Anyway, Adele throws his name into the mix, not sure if anything will come of it. 
her label starts making calls and then shockingly it's happening. A date's gone into the diary for a meeting with Mark Ronson, the Mark Ronson. Adele knows this is serious. She preps like mad. She jots down a load of ideas about how she wants Cold Shoulder to sound. She arrives at the office, bang on time. Nervously lights up a ciggy. And then another. And another. She's sitting, smoking, waiting. But the Mark Ronson is a no-show. No, come on, Mark. She's gutted and embarrassed. But on the plus side, she could write a heartfelt power ballad about being gutted and embarrassed. She does something else. Something I feel like you might do in these circumstances. She goes back to her flat, pops open a bottle of wine and watches Jerry Springer. More of a Maury girl, but yes, get the vibe, I would do that. Jerry. (laughs) Actually, it's more Ricky Lake for me. She has no idea her label has been desperately ringing round trying to find Mark Ronson, who had totally forgotten the meeting. They track him down and give him Adele's address. The problem is, when Mark arrives at Adele's flat, she's already pissed. Pissed off? Pissed drunk? Let's just say the room is spinning. Oof. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, Adele decides she's not going to throw away this opportunity. She grabs her notepad, which is full of brilliant ideas, and basically thrusts it in his face. The gamble pays off. Mark Ronson agrees to work with her on Cold Shoulder, and the result is pretty damn good. Another one in the bag for Adele's debut album. That's two songs for sure, and she's got a bunch more that are half ready, but she's still nowhere near releasing the album which everyone is waiting for, which is why she thinks it's bonkers, when not long after, in June 2007, she's invited to perform on Later with Jules Holland. That's big. It is big. And it's a big deal for Adele. When she was little, her mum... Penny. Yeah, well done. Listening. She used to let Adele stay up late on Fridays to watch it. And now, Adele's about to become the first unreleased artist ever to perform on the show. That's amazing. Or she will be if she actually manages to make it through her performance. Right now, she's backstage in a pokey dressing room somewhere in the bowels of BBC Television Centre. Penny's in there with her, trying to calm her down. Adele is sheet white and shaking. She's not 100% sure if she's going to throw up or faint. Ever since that first panic attack, just after she was signed, Adele's been struggling with stage fright. But this is a whole new level. On the bill tonight, a Bjork and Sir Paul McCartney. They're so famous. They're so famous. And she's just a teenager from South London with a handful of songs no one even knows yet. She looks in the mirror and takes a wobbly breath. She doesn't deserve to be here. Her heart is beating fast. She's going to let everyone down. She can feel it. She's about to lose it completely when Jules Holland, the presenter, comes in to introduce himself. Adele puts on a brave face. He seems lovely. And so do the crew. And then everything happens very quickly. An assistant director in a headset leads her down a narrow corridor, through a door and onto the glossy black stage. A single stool is waiting for her, her acoustic guitar propped up against it. She can feel herself getting hot. Oh, she shouldn't have worn the black cardi. Don't worry about the cardi. Jules beams to the camera. And now, making her TV debut, we welcome, from Brixton, Adele! (laughs) 
Adele's decided to sing Daydreamer, a song she wrote at school about a crush she had in sixth form. Her mum is sobbing in the front row. But when Adele gets to the end, her heart sinks. She knows she could have done it a hundred times better. I have seen that clip on YouTube and it is literally breathtaking. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen it and you're listening to this, just watch it. Do yourself a favour and watch gorgeous. it. It's gorgeous and just know that context behind it. Beautiful. The crowd know they've just seen something very special. So does Jules. But try telling Adele. She's so deflated. Afterwards, when she spots Sir Paul McCartney in the corridor, she goes to Jelly. She can't work up the courage to talk to him. Instead, he stops her and tells her she did a brilliant job. But she doesn't, can't, believe him. What? Yeah. Well, it doesn't really matter what he thinks. What really matters is what the audience at home thinks. No one yet knows, she doesn't know, whether her music will find an audience. She loves her music. But will anyone else? They say be careful what you wish for. It feels like the panic attacks and stage fright are always there in the background for Adele. Every time something good happens, it's like she can't enjoy it, can't trust it. Maybe more vulnerable than she seems. Yes. Let's rewind. No. Wow, that was special. I thought it was going to be better. Keep that in. We're going back, way back, another 14 years back. 1993. Adele is five years old with wispy blonde hair and green eyes. She's cute and she's cheeky. She lives in a two-bedroom council flat in Tottenham, North London. It's close enough to White Hart Lane, Spurs' famous stadium, that sometimes she can hear the roar of the crowd from her bedroom. Probably she could hear my dad as well. (laughs) Season ticket holder, shout out to Tim. It's just Adele and her mum, Penny. And they're a tight unit. Her dad left them four years ago. So Adele was just a baby when he left? Yeah, she said in interviews that her parents were in love before she was born, so it wasn't a quick fling. But he wasn't around much after the split, and now he lives in Wales, miles away, so she doesn't see him much. Adele's happy at home. Penny's warm and full of love. The flat is always filled with music and friends and family often drop by. The place looks lovely with handmade furniture and wallpaper that Penny painted herself. Penny's young and she's trendy. She was only 18 when she got pregnant with Adele. She had to drop out of art college, but she's always turning her creativity to something. Right now, she's sitting at the stripped pine kitchen table, her battered old sewing machine in front of her. Kneeling next to her on a chair, Adele's overseeing Penny's work, watching out of a slightly gunky eye while her mum sews sequins onto an eye patch. Adele's been told to wear one for her conjunctivitis. Oh, lovely. I think just a shout out to my mum, Penny. I think she would have done that for me too, but my, I had stupid healthy eyes, so she never got the chance. Well, Penny's pimping the patch for good reason. Adele is obsessed with Gabrielle, a singer who's just burst onto the scene. With short hair and her own sparkly eye patch, Gabrielle doesn't look anything like your average 90s pop star. But it's not just her look. Adele loves Gabrielle's voice. She wants to be her. So when Penny finishes sewing, Adele takes the patch for a spin. She climbs up onto the kitchen table. Penny turns off the big light and grabs a metal desk lamp from the living room. She adjusts its neck so Adele is under a single spotlight. Then she sticks on the new Gabrielle Find Your Way album and skips until she gets to track five. Adele throws back her little head and out comes this amazing voice. 
she performs her best rendition of Dreams for her mum. Dreams can come true. That is the one. Thank you. Adele loves the lyrics. To her, they sound like they could be in a Disney film. When she's up there singing, with Penny whooping and cheering for her, Adele feels totally free. This is who she is. At school the next day, little Adele bounces into her classroom. She's a bright, chatty, outgoing pupil, and she's rocking her sparkly eye patch tribute to Gabrielle. But the other kids don't get it. They tease her, make her feel stupid. No, she's just doing her. I know. I don't like to say it about kids, but I will. Scumbums. Oh, <laughs> Emily, could have said it better myself. Absolute scumbums. So she takes the eye patch off and shoves it to the bottom of her school bag. Later that day, when she gets home, she puts it in a drawer, and there it stays. Oh. Only coming out for her special kitchen table performances for her mum. Right now, the only person who seems to believe in her is Penny. So her poor little conjunctive eye is just out for all and sundry. They brought that on themselves, those scumbums. <laughs> Adele and her mum are as thick as thieves. They move home several times, but Penny is always her rock. They do everything together. Penny loves music, especially live music, but she's a single mum. The only way she can go to gigs and festivals is if she takes Adele with her. They see The Cure and The Beautiful South before Adele's even five. And when Adele's nine, Penny takes her to Glastonbury. Wow! It's an eye-opening experience for Adele. She says that she felt mad energy and connection to the place the moment she got there. It's a special land. Mm -hmm. Watching all these incredible acts like the otherworldly Radiohead and The Prodigy in her short life, She's never seen anything like it. Now, Keith Flint would make an impression on absolutely anyone. I imagine he probably terrified a nine-year-old. I don't know. I think he's got nine-year-old energy. Just bouncing <laughs> off the walls. That's it. Tantrums for days. Adele loves it. His connection with the audience is incredible. Maybe Adele imagined what it would be like to be up there on the stage herself. That night made a deep impression on her. You never forget your first glass, though. Over the next few years, music becomes more and more important to Adele. She joins the choir at school. She learns the clarinet. A natural progression to becoming a pop star. Nothing wrong with a bit of woodwind. <laughs> OK. Life trundles on, just her and her mum. But the shadow of her dad continues to hang over her. It's the year 2000. Adele is 12 and she's visiting her nana in her Victorian townhouse in Penarth, South Wales, not so far from where her dad lives. She's always loved coming here, playing on the beach, baking, cuddling on the sofa with her granddad in front of the six o'clock news. I preferred cartoons myself, but... Well, you know. yes, Adele doesn't enjoy watching it, but she loves the routine of it. But this time, her beloved grampy isn't here. He died last year and it doesn't feel right. She really misses him, his overalls, even just his smell. He was a constant in her life. Poor girl. Now all she's got is photos of him. But today is Father's Day. She thinks maybe there's still time to make memories with her dad, even though they've not exactly had the best relationship so far. He was around in her early years, you know, taking her to the park, that kind of thing. But what she didn't know was that he was also drinking. A lot. And it didn't always feel like he was there for her. Sometimes he'd offer to take her out for the day, only to drop her back after 30 minutes. Oh, way to make a girl feel special. So she thinks today is going to be different. 
This is going to be a surprise. She persuades her nana to call him. She hears her talking to him in firm, hushed tones, making him promise to turn up this time. Adele plans a whole day for them, a trip to Barry Beach, Knickerbocker glories from her favorite ice cream shop, and then she sits on the stairs where she can see the front door and she waits. And she waits. Hours pass and he doesn't show. Finally, Adele's nana comes out and wraps her up in a silent hug. Sobbing, with her nose pressed into her nana's blouse, gutted and furious, Adele makes a decision. She doesn't want to be let down by him anymore. I'm going to cut my dad out of my life for good. I want to give her a hug too, and it wouldn't be silent. I'd say, come here, baby. Tell me now that he suddenly appears at the door and he says, I love you more than anything else in the world. Happy ending. End of story. Emily, he doesn't. And when Adele gets home, she sits down at her mum's piano. She's overwhelmed by feelings she only half recognises. Grief over her grandpa's death, fury and sorrow caused by her dad. She starts humming to herself, jotting down some words. She calls it, this is my life. It's not even a proper song, just a collection of lines. But one thing she knows is that it feels true to all the hurt and sadness she has bottled up inside. And she is 12. Go on, girl. After this, Adele starts writing more and more. Lines, thoughts, feelings. She feels like she comes alive when she's turning her thoughts into song. It feels like she's connecting to something real. And music is everywhere in her life. Penny's house is full of it. Adele is drawn to dynamic female artists like Beyonce, whose empowering songs she loves. And one of her mum's favourite singers, Nina Simone. Ugh. Music is the backdrop to her entire life. And then she wins a place at the Brit School, a state-funded performing arts secondary. It's stuffed full of kids destined to be stars. Kate Nash is a fellow pupil, as is Jessica Cornish, later known as Jessie J. And a few years above, there's Katie Mellower, who's on the verge of signing a record deal. Oh, and a little someone you might have heard of called Amy Winehouse. I think I may have heard of mm. Amy. Yes. Do you know, I thought I was going to go to Brit school, um, but Did I couldn't you? sing or dance and didn't apply. That's so weird that you didn't <laughs> Genuinely, though, I thought that's my place. And they didn't take you. No, so Bizarre. weird. Adele is surrounded by talent, but it also makes her feel underconfident. She doesn't like putting herself forward for things. It makes her anxious. But we know life is complicated for her, and music is an escape. So she's not about to walk away from it. She's 15 now and loves looking for new sounds, new singers. She hangs out in HMV on Oxford Street, browsing CDs, listening to people she hasn't discovered yet. I spent so many hours doing that in HMV and I think I liked it because I'm a Virgo and everything's alphabetised. One time, an Etta James album catches her eye. She was an American rhythm and blues singer with a bit of gospel thrown in. She was big in the 60s and 70s, famous for hits like Something's Got a Hold on Me. Adele doesn't know her, but she likes her picture. Iconic, cat's eye makeup, big blonde beehive. Exactly. Adele buys the CD just so she can take it to her hairdressers and ask them to do her hair like Etta's. But when she actually listens to the album, Adele falls in love. She's transported by Etta James' voice. She's never heard anything quite like it before. 
Adele connects to her instantly. She believes every word Etta is singing and she wants to sing like that too. The rawness and emotion in Etta's voice is thrilling to her. Adele might be able to copy Etta's iconic beehive, but the voice? That's much harder. The raw, emotional power of singers like Etta James and Nina Simone, that's what she's reaching for. She knows she feels things very deeply, but will she ever be able to channel them like her idols can? They say be careful what you wish for. We're back where we left off in early 2008, when life is moving really fast for Adele. She's met music exec Nick Huggett, bagged herself a manager, got a record deal, and all before she's turned 20. I think I'm keeping up? Well, Adele is only just keeping up, and it's her life. Then she releases her debut album, 19, the one that caused so much anxiety in the making, and it goes straight to number one. A month later, in February, she's at her first major awards show, the Brits. Oh, lovely. Mm-hmm. It's the biggest night in British music. Adele can hardly believe she's there. Every time she looks round, there's another famous face. She's collecting the Critics' Choice Award. That's a huge deal. It's a massive she's deal. She's not just at the Brits, she's at the Brits. She's at the Brits, baby. She's been nominated and she's getting an award, voted for by hundreds of music industry insiders, from record execs to music bosses at radio and TV stations. Anyone who's anyone, basically. Yes. Her name's announced. She has to go up on stage. That's what happens. She stands, tries to stop her hands shaking. Chasing pavements is blaring out of the speakers. She's walking out onto the stage and she's thinking, that's my song. It's surreal. She chose a cute black and beige smock dress for tonight, but she's not feeling confident. She tries to straighten her shoulders, look up and out at the audience. The stage is decorated in purple drapes, a red velvet throne with a giant bejeweled skull looming over it. She doesn't know whether she's going to rock this or make a fool of herself. What she does know is that this is the biggest moment of her life so far. There's no doubt about that. And whooping and leaping around in the front row is a crowd of Brit school students. She should be down there with them, not up here. Waiting for her, preparing to give her the award, is the pop star, Will Young. She steps up to make her speech. The first word that comes out of her mouth is, Hiya. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, she thinks. I sound like I've just picked up the phone to my nan. <laughs> but it's very nice. Always start with hello. She says, I'll keep this short because I find speeches really boring. <laughs> Adele relaxes slightly. She's being herself instead of some super cool star and it seems to be working. So she carries on being totally honest and says, My heart's beating really fast. She thanks everyone that voted for her. Her manager, Pat at Gap, and she thanks her beautiful mum. <laughs> Finally, it's all over, and she's walking off stage to warm applause, especially from the Brit School crew. She survived her first award ceremony, and she's got an award to prove it. But it doesn't feel quite right. Her album's only just come out. She has a nagging sense that she hasn't earned it. She feels she needs to prove herself. And her record label says, You're right. Let's do America. 
Oh, it's the big time, baby. No pressure. Only a few months after the Brits, in the summer of 2008, Adele finds herself on tour. San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, Chicago, Minneapolis. It's not easy to crack America. Many have tried and failed. Yeah, there's a long list of shattered dreams there. Robbie Williams. Blue. Blue. Obviously, immediately <laughs> it's all the big mind. ones. But her label thinks she's got a good chance of charming American audiences. And it does feel like they were right. She's packing out venues and recruiting an army of new fans. But it's taking her a long way out of her comfort zone. Her anxiety and nerves aren't going away. Every performance is a battle with stage fright. Will someone help her with this, please? Please. Her schedule is gruelling. For a nervous flyer, she seems to be living on planes at the moment, zipping between time zones. She's up every day at seven for photo shoots and interviews. Between her raw, heartfelt ballads, she moans to audiences about the summer heat, her migraine and her painful wisdom teeth. They laugh and cheer, loving her unstarry presentation, her realness. But despite all of this, deep down Adele's longing for home. And the moaning, well, they're real moans, she's not loving it. So the next time Adele gets on a plane, she isn't going to her next gig. She's going home. Back in her bedroom in her Notting Hill flat, Adele types out an urgent message on her blog. She's cancelling the rest of her US tour. <gasps> That's not the way to break America. She says she's sorry. There's some problems at home I've had to sort out, she writes. I was looking forward to touring and throwing myself back into it, but my home life needs more attention. I apologise from the bottom of my heart for disappointing you all. Her finger trembles over the send button. She knows a lot of people are going to be seriously pissed off at her. Industry people, the people who've spent money on tickets. Hang on, wait, so the Las Vegas cancellation isn't the first time she's done it. She's had a previous. There's yes. a theme here. Yes, but this is different. She's at the beginning of her career here. She's risking everything. Her fans are new, maybe not yet loyal and forgiving. But something's missing. She's not feeling it. She hits the send button and closes her laptop and looks at the man lying right next to her, shirtless on the bed, nursing a Cabernet hangover. Oh, that came out of nowhere. Who yes. is this a man who has appeared this on this bed? This is Adele's new boyfriend. Who is he? Is he good enough for her? Well, you have to decide that when we're done. Who hmm. is he? Adele has worked hard to keep his name out of the press, so I'm just going to call him Mr 21. Oh dear, I've heard that album. Mm-hmm. She is totally into this fella. It must be quite the man to bin off the whole of America for. Shows before bros, Adele. It's too late. He's her first proper love. She's 20 years old. What can you do? Nothing. He's a bit older. He's smart and creative. He recommends books she should read and films she should watch. I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to mansplain culture to me, thanks. <laughs> he knows how she's feeling just by looking at her. Like us? Yes. They finish each other's... Cheesecake. Sentences. Oh. She thinks she's found her... Sentences. <laughs> soulmate, Emily. Sorry. Soulmate. She's besotted and blissfully happy. But she's still insecure. Doesn't matter how many Brits you've won, we're all still out here hoping they've texted us back. Amen. She's worried that if she carries on with the tour, he'll forget all about her. So she writes that blog post and messages her manager, Jonathan, telling him... Not to bother her with emails or interview requests. She is switching off her Blackberry. Blogs and Blackberries, it's just a different time. It truly is. 
Jonathan respects her request, so maybe her management knew she needed a break. And it feels worth it. She settles into a cosy life at home. They go for dinner to unpretentious places. He's not interested in spending loads of money in celebrity restaurants, and nor is she. They snuggle up together on the sofa, drinking wine and watching films. She learns how to cook. She is loving being in love. And she lives happily ever after the end. No? As time goes on, she begins to feel anxious about her decision. Was it the right one? She should be feeling contented and blissed out, but slowly that yearning feeling is returning and she begins to think again about those audiences and her fans. Has she made a massive, irretrievable mistake? Has she thrown it all away just when she was getting going? From Wondery, this is the first episode in our series about Adele. In our next episode, a catastrophe threatens to take away everything Adele's ever wanted. A quick note about this podcast, we can't know everything that was said or done behind closed doors. That's how life goes. But we can interpret events, words and sources to tell this story. So even if a scene or conversation has been recreated for dramatic effect, it's still based on biographical research. We've used many sources to make this series, including Danny White's biography, Adele to 30 and Beyond, and Sean Smith's Adele. Plus Adele's interviews with Oprah, Vogue, BBC Radio 4's Desert Island Discs and Zane Lowe. I'm Anna Leong Brophy. And I'm Emily Lloyd Saney. Terribly Famous is a production of Wondery and Loftus Media. Lydia Marchant wrote this episode. Our sound design is by Peregrine Andrews and Dan King. Script editing by Tamsin Hughes. This episode was produced by Faye Lyons-White. Our series producer is Theodora Leloudis for Wondery. Our managing producer is Rachel Sibley for Wondery. Our executive producers are Rich Knight, Jessica Radburn and Marshall Louis for Wondery and Kirsten Lass for Loftus Media. do love Adele. She is a legend. Um, to make sure you don't miss any of the episodes, search for Terribly Famous on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you find your podcasts. And once you've tapped follow for that show, don't forget to do the same for this show as well, and then you can find your next podcast. All my recommendations for the whole series will also be on Podcast Rex at www.podcastrex.com. That is www.podcastrexrex.com. <laughs>